Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, I am very good, and I'm also very excited, uh, listeners, uh, because uh, as we draw uh, to the end of our series on federal government cabinet-level departments, today's episode is going to be, uh, or is, not going to be, it is about uh, a, a department that me and I uh know very very well and that is the department of homeland security which is the most recently created federal government cabinet department you know the thing about dhs dhs is dear to my heart in part because um i was an adult when it was created right so i so i have uh a a greater understanding of it probably than I do any of the others. Um, I know folks would like to believe I'm 9,000 years old and that education was part of my adult experience, but in fact, it was not. Uh, <laughs> but, and I and I do want to note, by the way, this is the penultimate dot department episode because we have one more on the ones that didn't make it. Yeah. Um, and some or as I like to think of them, the awe departments, right? Well, and in, 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 in the public administration policy scholar in me just loves going through and examining s- some of the ideas for departments. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because we've had some cool stuff. We've yeah. had some cool stuff. But I, but I also, I wanted to say something about DHS from the outset, even though it is dear to my heart, um, in part because I studied right? Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness. But also, one of the things that we've noted throughout this series is that departments are created in their time and of their need, right? You get a whole lot of cars and all of a sudden you need a Department of Transportation, right? You get a whole bunch of people living in tenement buildings and you need a Department of Housing. So you have all these things. (laughs) DHS came along at a time, a modern time of messiness. And it is, yeah. and it reflects that deeply. The yes. department itself is inordinately messy. What's in DHS? Um, well, I have a kitchen sink and I have a screwdriver and I have a beaver and I have a hat <laughs> and I have a lamp. And I mean, like, it's like that. It's this crazy sort of, when Augie gets to the list where he he, he names them all, you should sit down and get a glass of water because it's going to take a minute to get through them. Well, you you, you might actually need, you might actually need things. something stronger because you you might you might want an adult beverage because <laughs> it's a it's, lot. But yeah, but we should say at first we should start out by saying Homeland Security is is created in the wake of the September 11th attacks on the United States by um, the terrorist group Al Qaeda or Al-Qaeda, um, however you pronounce it. I know it's pronounced several ways. Um, when they turned planes into bombs yes. and flew them into um, 
the World Trade Center in New York, the Pentagon in Washington, and the, who knows where they were going with the one that ended up in the field in Pennsylvania, but they, they that one crashed because folks on that plane fought back yes. because they had heard about the other crashes and they didn't want to be part of killing a bunch of other people. So they tried to fight back and take that plane back. Um, uh, I think a very heroic. Oh, very heroic. Thing uh, to do. Yes. Um, makes me proud of those people, even though I don't know those people. Um, but anyway, in response to approximately 5,000 uh, American citizens dying. Yes. Right. That's when we that's when President Bush. 43, not 41, 43, comes up with Homeland Security. But it wasn't just a, I shall create a department, right? It was not quite like that. No, in fact, and this is one of the, well, for many scholars, it is the first data point. Um, when you discuss the Department of Homeland Security, what many Americans don't recall is that initially the Bush 43 administration created an office within, within the executive office of the president. Um, um, and, uh, and it was initially staffed um, uh, by uh, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Ridge. Um, and, and that uh, was pretty quick, wasn't it, after the attacks? Yeah, within 10 days. Within 10 days. Yeah. Okay, that is uh, fast. The, the president announced it. Um, and the Bush 43 administration uh, was somewhat um, ambivalent about asking Congress to create a brand new cabinet level department. And, and recall listeners, um, Congress has the authority, not the president, Again, this is an example of checks and balances. Um, Congress, the legislative branch, decides if there are going to be new executive branch departments or agencies. Um, and as a Republican, I can imagine him not wanting to expand the government, right? Because one of the sort of hallmarks of the Republican Party is small government, yes, um, local government, right? Like. They think and, government should be as small and as local as possible. And we should also... Or, not, I should say traditional Republicans. I don't yeah, know where the Republican Party, the party is now. Is today, but. Yeah. <laughs> and it should also be noted here, the Bush 43 administration's ambivalence about creating a cabinet-level department also reflected um, the rather significant influence that Vice President Dick Cheney had. Um, because Dick Cheney and a number of his staffers were of the opinion that there were certain executive branch functions that should be largely beyond the control of the United States Congress. But if you create a cabinet-level department, the United States Congress does have historical, if you will, institutional authority to provide oversight. And they do it a lot with budgets, you know, the budget process. Right. So, you know, Dick Cheney and um, his cadre of assistants 
um, you know, their initial advice to the president was, you know, do what many modern presidents have done in responding to an emergency, which is you create a special assistant or a czar position, okay? Um, and whether or not future presidents want to use that office, okay? Okay, fine. If not, okay, fine. But if you create it in, as a cabinet level department, okay, not only did that run against mainstream Republican, you know, doctrine, but it would also, I mean, it would be it would have oversight from the Congress. It would be over. Yeah, oversight it would not be Congress. able to do things that the president wanted it to do, and would become very, unfettered. Become very quickly bureaucratized. Right. And in in one of the lessons that the Bush forty three administration took from the sub, September eleventh attacks was that the federal government had to be uh, more nimble faster to respond. And you don't get that, as we have discussed throughout this series, you don't necessarily get quick government response when you create a federal government department. Okay? Right. Typically, you don't. Right. right. And and right. in fact, in some ways, that's a good thing, because what you get is bureaucracy, which yes. then people understand what the process is, they can follow the process, and they can achieve whatever it is they need to achieve. Like if if you don't have HUD, then people don't, then you don't have housing vouchers and people can't apply for them and people can't get the assistance, right? So once you have that, then you have that structure that people know what to do in order to get help from the government or what have you. So what's interesting to me about that, and I'm going to go over to the dark side and Augie's going to pull me back. But my cynical self says, yes, because the pre previous CEO of Halliburton would want as little oversight of what that department may or may not do. Well, I mean, it was more than just. Uh, sorry, Dick Cheney was a was a yeah. former a board director, CEO, something with Halliburton, yeah, which was is an a defense contractor. But it was more than just that, Nia. Um, I didn't know how far you wanted to go into the weeds on this, <laughs> but within the Bush 43 administration, Dick Cheney and a, and a, and a bunch of well-known legal scholars, including John Yu, okay, Y-O-O, -O, uh, were proponents of what uh, is known as the unitary executive theory. So if you think about how the federal government is structured, there are two dominant principles, checks and balances, but separation of powers. And the unitary executive theory basically goes ahead and says, Congress has certain powers, the executive has certain powers, and the judiciary has certain powers, okay? And those powers are largely given to each of those branches. In the unitary executive theory, is not a huge fan of checks and balances, right? Um, and is this thing Nixon, if the president does it, then it's legal? Well, it's more than just that. It's that um, each branch has certain authority or powers that cannot be checked or should not be checked by the other branches. 
So their conception of separation of powers is it is separate powers. The other conception of separation of powers is that it's separate but shared powers. That's where you get the checks and balances. I think that that's the one most people think democracy is. Well, at least the American form. Version of democracy. Of democracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. right? So they were big proponents of the unitary executive theory. Um, uh, and so their thought was, if we put it in the executive office of the president, which as we've discussed previously on this podcast, I mean, when FDR really pushed for the expansion of the executive office of the president, he did so in part because he didn't want to share power with members of Congress because he thought that his vision of responding to the Great Depression would only get watered down and corrupted by members of Congress who would be looking to benefit their states at the expense of a national response to the Great Depression. And he may not have been wrong about that. Okay, so likewise- But but also, if you just wait around for Congress, to abdicate power, they will eventually give you the power to do whatever you want to do. Well, we know that. just didn't want to wait for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> we know that now, right? Okay. But, she said slightly bitterly. But but, but the, the other interesting thing about this was that it wasn't not only the Bush 43 administration that was somewhat skeptical of creating a new cabinet level department. There were members of Congress who opposed the creation of this department because in part, it happened so fast. So there was very little study time. Uh, Nia, right, what kind of department do we need? I don't know, we'll figure it out as we go, right? No. Like that's the, that's the uh, what is it? Um, fail to learn, learn to fail and then keep going, right? Like you, Yeah. So and, I can't remember what that's called, but anyway, yeah, that whole idea that you will just fall forward into- In the department- Making it work was created in two months. Oh, that's right. You get it was created in November. That's right. Of, you get of it 2002 in... and Ridge was confirmed by the Senate to be the first secretary of the Department of Homeland Security in January of 2003. No, it's not a two year. months. A it year. was a year. It was but, a year. Okay, but but within a year, within a year from the time that that the attacks happen and we have this this internal office to a department is really fast. That's that's a quick and again, listen get everybody in line. And part of that is that at that time people felt that being not being in line was being disloyal, right? That there was some there was some well, pressure. And many, and many Americans thought that the country was vulnerable. I mean, that sense of vulnerability right. really drove and a lot fear. of the actions. Okay. Yep. Um, but I mean, listeners of this series that we've done, Nia, should take note of how quickly <laughs> this transpired. I mean, because some of these cabinet level departments that we have discussed take okay, years. Were, were decades. And get, in the making. And, and get peeled off from other departments, yes. right? Like this is a whole new cut from cloth yes. thing. Department of Homeland Security. Like there were people who uh, I remember and uh, listeners who are too young to remember, um, but who have read the book 1984, 
there were people who were like, oh, this is a big brother department. We don't want this, right? We don't want homeland. First of all, the name is terrifying. The Department of Homeland Security, right? Like that sounds like double speak and it sound, it was really scary. But the other, the, si the other side of that was people were scared to get on planes. People were scared to go to large buildings. Like there was all kinds of stuff. Uh, I know that they held the Super Bowl the year after, I mean, the, the January after 9-11, um, but it freaked everybody out to go to a place with 50,000 people in it, right? Because yeah. there's this whole thing in the back of your brain of, wow, we'd make a really good target right now. Um, fortunately, we have not been hit with anything nearly as large. We've had individual things, but not anything nearly as large. But um, but yeah, Augie, how many departments are in DHS? She said laying a trap for him so that he would have to read all 10,000 of them. Well, there's not 10,000, but there are 22. <laughs> um, and nearly all of them were existing agencies within the federal government. Um, so, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to try to quickly go through these. Um, we have the Transportation Security Administration, TSA. They check many, you at the airport. Which many Americans did not know was an already existing agency but got expanded dramatically <laughs> right now they make you take off your shoes and they make you go through an x-ray coast guard fema federal emergency management agency secret service which got uh, re, uh, uh transferred from treasury to homeland security do they still do um counterfeiting yes they do Okay. Yes, they do. Uh, because again, one of the findings of the 9-11 Commission report was um, uh, uh, the importance of money to terrorist organizations. Okay. Um, customs and border protection. Immigration and customs enforcement, which still for, in my humble opinion, Still ice, has, ice baby. Still has the best acronym because I, I just like to say it ice. Because <laughs> you're a weirdo. I am a weirdo and I love government <laughs> acronyms. Um, Citizen and Immigration Services, Critical Infrastructure uh, Assurance Office <laughs> of the Department of Commerce, the National Communication System, which used to be part of the Federal Bureau of the uh, of Investigation, the National Infrastructure Simulation and Analysis Center, the Energy Assurance Office of the Department of Energy, which, by the way, those are the folks that um, uh, try to have a handle on our energy grid. On hardening the grid, and people in North Carolina can tell you that needs to be worked on. Okay. Because in when we are recording this in recent memory, there has been a gunfire at a gunfire, uh, yes at a um, uh, substation, which took down I don't know twenty or thirty thousand customers in North Carolina for almost a week. Yes. So and, scary. And, and again, that was identified. 
Um, Energy is a big deal for Homeland Security, right? Yes. The grid, if you can take down the grid, ask New York what happens when there's a blackout for 24 hours. Yes. Um, uh, Which happened in the 80s, I think. 80s? Oh, 80s. it happened a couple of times um, in the 70s and 80s <laughs> in New York. Um, yeah, not pretty. You have the Federal Computer Incidents Response Center of the General Services Administration, the GSA. Uh, basically, the federal government's landlord operation. But this is this was taken from the GSA. This that's is no correct. longer. That's what he's saying is. Yes. Energy Assurance Office was taken from the Department of Energy and put into. Yes. DHS. You have the Federal Protective Service. You have the Office of Domestic Preparedness. You have the Federal Law, Law Enforcement Training Center, uh, which, by the way, the FBI fought really hard not to give that one up. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I, I came across easily like a half a dozen articles, okay, about how the FBI did not want to give that up. Um, the <clears throat> integrated hazard information system of NOAA, uh, which I, uh, 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 Nee and I uh, uh, both spoken rather positively about um, the National Weather Service, as most of us know. The National uh, Domestic Preparedness Office of the FBI. By the way, the FBI lost some I... significant units, okay, and we're not happy about it at yeah. all. And okay. if Hoover had been alive, that would not have happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care what president, vice president tried to do that. No, that would not have happened. Uh, we also had uh, the domestic emergency support team of the Department of Justice, the Metropolitan Medical Response System of the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, by the way, that's HHS's kind of sort of um, um, uh, crisis management team, right? Um, so, you know, if there is uh, a public health breakout that could have been caused by outside individuals. Right. right? The um, Ebola um, yes. yeah. uh, scare that we had not yeah. too long ago. The National Disaster Medical System, also of HHS, uh, the Office of Emergency Preparedness in the Strategic National Stockpile of the Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, the strategic national stockpile you have heard of because that is where you get the response to COVID. Yes, yep. And then I actually had to look this, <laughs> I actually had to look this one up. This one stumped me. The Plum Island Animal Disease Center of the Department of Agriculture. Which one of the Ebola outbreaks came out of that. Yes. Came out of because, that with the monkeys. Yeah, because there is the fear that terrorists will go ahead we'll and weaponize, use, right. will weaponize animals. <laughs> and and will weaponize animal diseases. Uh, yes. There was yes. a big fear that COVID had been an animal disease that had been weaponized. Yes. Um, I personally think COVID was an animal disease that was accidentally weaponized, meaning they didn't intend to weaponize it. Yeah. But I suspect that there is some lab something that will come out eventually. But what it basically what Augie said to you was, 
um, DHS went one of these and two of those and one of these and one of these and one of these and four of these and six tablespoons of this, right, to make a department. And come, come to find out when you do something like that, the logistical challenges of that are a nightmare. Yes. Right, because trying to get all those disparate individuals to work together on a problem, I cannot imagine that 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 is not considered problematic. Almost immediately, Congress's audit organization, um, which is the Government Accountability Office, um, identified DHS as high risk. <laughs> The entire department of DHS yes. as high risk, not just like, oh, little bits and pieces, but like, man, this is a mess. It, 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 in, in high risk, when, when GAO, when the Government Accountability Office gives a department or even an agency within a department the high risk label, it means the following. They, quote, <laughs> vulnerable to waste fraud, abuse, or mismanagement, or in need of transformation. So the agency existed for less than a year, and GAO already was like, included. Was like, no, nah, this isn't working. You know, we got some problems here, okay? Yeah. Well, and it is rather, I mean, you listen to what was slapped together and how many different agencies it came out of, and I mean, different departments that some of those came out of and different agencies. And you figure out that, okay, even though it seems like every agency within departments and every department within the federal government should have the same structure of organization, that is so wildly not the case as to be, I mean, it's they an amazing same, example they don't have the of same. how you can make something work when people are all doing very different types of hierarchical jobs. They don't have the same organization. They don't have the same purpose. So, right. I mean, if if me, if you look at the, you know, twenty-two different departments I, or uh, agencies that I just went ahead and mentioned, you had some that were focused on transportation. You had some focused on energy. You had some focused on our borders. You had some focused on immigration. You had some focused on garden variety law enforcement. You had some that were focused on medical, know, protect, medical protecting the president, protecting um, uh, or, or responding to medical crises. I mean, because when you're responding to a medical crisis, you don't care about arresting people you're right. trying to figure out how do we protect and save human beings right. right so you take the folks who are dealing with an outbreak of something and the folks who are trying to remove illegal um visitors to this nation trying to work the same problem right and you just have a mess because the health people are saying, no, 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 we need people to talk to us and tell us who they know, who's sick, that kind of thing. And you get the other people like, yeah, let them talk to you so I can find those people and boot them out of the country, right? Like, it's a terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. I mean, DHS is, is, is a, I'm not trying to be ugly, but it's a mess. And it's amazing that it works as well as it does, considering 
then it's kind of a yeah and as recently uh, in as recently as last year um uh gao still had the entire department of homeland security on its high risk list and it specified the following areas um, for concern cybersecurity internal management of information finance and uh, acu uh, acquisition and then the protection of us technology all right and what i thought was really interesting was gao did not even mention immigration even though that's by, a huge but by, by nearly all accounts okay it's a mess right okay? it's a huge area of concern it, it's a huge area of concern um in, in part yeah because, you know what they got tired after a while the, uh, got tired. Yeah. It's like, it, you know what just fix the whole dang thing that's what they're that's what they basically i'm sure they i'm sure they couldn't get away with just writing one sentence which is fix it all XOXO GAO, but they probably would have wanted to if they could have gotten away with that. Now, in we're we're going to talk about. I mean, we we've, we've been talking about criticisms, and one of the criticisms is the messiness of the thing. Yeah. But I would like to take just a quick moment and give kudos, because while there have been small terrorist attacks, right, the Boston Marathon bomber, you know, you get things like. Like that, they've been individuals, which are much harder to track yes. than groups. And DHS has done a pretty good job, really, of keeping the, and I'm not, I please don't hear me say that no lives are important. All lives are important. But they've kept the numbers down really low, relatively speaking, especially when you look at terrorist attacks in other nations where sometimes those are in the dozens or hundreds. Um we're seeing a lot less of that in the United States than we could be seeing. And I think a lot of that has to do with the hard work that's done by people in these departments and in other departments who, who are constantly vigilant about this sort of thing in a way that we weren't before. Um, one of the things about the commission report was said it was a, a failure of imagination. Yeah. Um, and what we've seen is that they actively try to imagine and then try to circumvent. Um, and they've done a lot better job of recruiting people who speak a lot of different languages and who are willing to be in country and listen sort of on the ground. Yeah, I, I don't want listeners of this episode to go ahead and think that um, we think the Department of Homeland Security has been a failure. There have been problems. We've right. already chronicled some. We'll probably chronicle a few more, more. before we wrap <laughs> up the episode. But I want listeners to go ahead and take into account um, the seemingly impossible work we have charged Homeland Security with uh, with accomplishing. Um, and this was identified. This was identified in 2007 um, in the Bush 43 administration, and. Even today, these are the three uh, broad mission areas of DHS. Prevent and disrupt terrorist attacks. That's one. Two, protect the American people, infrastructure, and key resources. Three, 
respond to and recover from as, uh, incidents that do occur. Okay. So and when you think to... about that second one, protect the American people infrastructure and key resources. We are the third largest, fourth largest nation in the world. Fourth, I think, largest nation in the world. We're big. We're in the top ten. Maybe we yeah. anyway. But we also have two very long borders in this country. Yeah. Like we're we're relatively vulnerable, and they've done a pretty decent job, I think, at keeping. We have an uh, aging aging infrastructure, um, right? And um, and though we do have various resources. Um, many of our essential resources um, come from other countries. So, I mean, if you think about the three broad mission areas, it's before, during, and after, okay? And most right. departments are not tasked, okay, no matter- With before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they certainly aren't tasked with all three. Okay, right. um, so the fact that they have that kind of broad mission, um, and as Nia pointed out, um, many of the fears of what would occur post 9-11 attacks have largely not materialized, which is not to say that they won't, but you know we're 21 years past the 9-11 attacks. Um, and, um, and we have to give quite a bit of the credit to a department that was put together basically on the fly, okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> in a process that I don't know if we'll ever be able to replicate again. Oh, and okay. let's, let's not try, yeah, really. Right? That, that was, okay. Um, sorry. Just as a side note for our listeners, we are the fourth largest nation, Russia, Canada, China, United States. Yeah, in, ter in terms of land mass. We're not in terms of land mass, yeah, right? Yeah. Not in terms of population. China population. tops everybody in terms yeah. of population. But, yeah. Um, although their one child policy may change that in the next few generations. But um, so I, my biggest problem with DHS, and, and I want to say this with love in my heart, is I don't like the theater that I go through at the airport. I do not believe that I am being, that I am being somehow kept incredibly safe by taking off my shoes at the airport. I, I think it's a reaction to the, the shoe bomber guy, right? Yeah. And, and I don't know that it's, I mean, we have heard it called that before. We've heard it called security theater. And I think that in some ways it is security theater. Um, it is an example. I mean, what you have to go through at airports. I mean, it is an example of, you know, political symbolism. Right. You know, you know let's and, face it. You know, if, if somebody was hell bent uh, in, in trying to get weapons onto a plane, um, you know, human ingenuity such as as it is okay would probably find a way right but, i mean a lot of what's done by the government is to go ahead um and and reduce um public fear 
public fear, right? Okay, you know, right. you know, if a if the police go ahead and put a a, a police vehicle or cruiser on a street, <laughs> it okay. will, everybody will slow down. That okay. is so true. <laughs> okay, even if they get up to it and realize there's nobody in the car, they've car. already slowed down. <laughs> they've already slowed down, right? That's true. That's an excellent point, Augie. That's I mean, an excellent I mean, point. Kind of if you think like, that a person at TSA might search your bag, you might be less likely to bring things on a plane that would yeah, be destructive or disruptive. It, it will act as a deterrent for most people. Okay, that's a fair point. Okay, but on the other hand, some of the techniques that have been used um, have, uh, it has been alleged, violated civil liberties of of people of color um they use profiles profiles are inherently um conflictual in regards to the equal protection clause of the united states constitution okay which is interesting because israel makes no bones about the fact that that's what they do when they walk down the line and and oh Oh yeah, and look at people in the airport. Yeah. They make no bones about the fact that they are they are profiling you. They are looking for physiological things that you can't control, like yes. sweat and other things, to see what kind of person you are and what kind of, you know, whether you're a criminal or not. But anyway, I I think well, you you that, just mentioned that particular criticism. Uh, yep. and it, um, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, DHS, uh, in particular, receives a lot of criticism about immigration policies in the United States. Um, I think some of it is fair criticism, but some of it's unfair. And the reason why I think it's unfair is that our elected officials have basically tasked DHS with an impossible job because current policy legislation um is circa reagan administration right i'm sorry okay um i think it needs to be said okay if you're going to go ahead and give unelected federal bureaucrats i.e okay immigration and customs enforcement authority to implement immigration laws then the law should go ahead and reflect current realities Okay, and that falls on Congress and multiple presidents who have not responded. That said, okay, some of the stuff that Immigration and Customs Enforcement has has been doing, okay, um, has not made the situation any better, right? Um, and there are any no and detention centers. Augie's talking to you. Yes, um, okay. I mean part of that is. Part of that is how people are being treated in detention centers. There are questions about whether people are being um, uh, forcibly sterilized. There are questions about separating children from parents. There are separate. There are questions about whether people are sleeping on concrete floors. I mean, it's there's some real human rights questions that are happening at the border. And part of part of also what that is is you're asking a relatively small group of people to protect a very long border and and they don't have the the personnel or the facilities we don't have the personnel we don't have the facilities and in in this country still has not come to come to grips with this reality nia 
a whole bunch of people from other countries want to <laughs> well, quit telling they, people America is the greatest in the world and then say, but you can't come here. Well, like, they want not... they want to migrate to the United States, and exactly. in, in whether you know, in whether or not the conditions in this country, you know, are good, great, whatever the case may be, the reality is a whole bunch of other people from other countries want to come here, and maybe it's because the conditions in other countries aren't all that great either, comparatively. <laughs> okay, no yeah. matter the reality is this, and it doesn't matter who's president and what they say about immigrants. A whole bunch of people want to come to the United States. So at some point in time, this country, the citizenry, its elected officials have to wrap their mind around the fact that we got a whole bunch of people who want to come here. Right. But if we, we task a department with enforcing current immigration laws, we need more personnel, we need better detention facilities, better treatment at the facilities, because it's a lie to go ahead and say, Nia, that we're a civilized country with the way we treat people at, at our detention facilities. Uh, of all kinds, detention yes. and prisons. We, yeah, we, yeah. It, 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 okay. Right. It puts and, and us into the uncivilized go ahead and, category. You know, accuse me of any number of isms, isms after I said that. But I'm, for me, it's unconscionable, right? Right. Um, and, and in part, we are asking them to do an impossible job. Right. And then we're kind of acting shocked when- When they F it up. Yeah, when they screw it up, I'm sorry. Right, and I'm sorry for my language, but when, but when they, um, but yeah, it's a horrible sort of, I'm not gonna give you enough resources, but I want you to do this thing. I want you to, I don't know. And I'm gonna make the rules ambiguous about what's actually going to be enforced and what isn't. You go out, you find somebody, and then I'm going to let them go. Or you go out, you find somebody, and I'm going to deport them, even though they've been here for 20 years and working a job. I, there's all kinds of weird things. Also, just as a side note, which has nothing to do with DHS, but I feel like I need to say it anyway. Um, statistically speaking, we are not having babies in this country. And if we want to continue to be a country, we are going to have to change our immigration laws. We're going to have to let more people in. We're going to have to give more people who get here a pathway to citizenship if we want to continue to have a country. Um, this idea that somehow you can hold on to this much land with a lot fewer people, that's not going to happen. E either we allow immigration in this country or Canadian, the Canadians and the Mexicans will split up the United States and leave us the chunk that we occupy. Like, yeah, and, and this goes back to pre, uh, previous discussions, Nia, we've had on this uh, podcast. Um, the United States, like most Western democracies, have welfare systems, social safety net systems that are predicated on the population, particularly the adult population, uh, growing at a certain rate right. to go ahead and support our neediest populations, okay? Um, and that isn't happening, right? Um, right, you know, and we've got to fix that. The, I mean, a we, few weeks before this podcast episode uh, was recorded, you know, South Korea um, is looking at no growth rate 
no no growth rate in its population okay in the next three to five years okay um and and they're like they're offering cash subsidies to people to have babies <laughs> for their citizenry to have kids right right um, um and 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 while we might chuckle about that here in the United States, okay, you we're know, not that far off from it. Yeah, we're not that far off. Uh, uh, Japan is a little worse than we are, but most Italy. Western, yeah, most Western democracies in Europe, okay, are struggling. Are, are struggling with the same issue, right? Yeah, Italy's in real trouble. Okay, as far as their aging population. Hey, can we talk about disaster response for a minute? Oh. So I want to I want to talk about Katrina for just a second. I want to start by saying in fairness to the government nobody expected the levees to break. And if it hadn't been the levee that the levees broke, Katrina would not have been as bad as it was. It would not have been the unmitigated disaster that it became once we lost the levees. Now, if you want to talk about local zoning and problems with spending on the levies, yes, that was a local problem. They took money away from levy spending and put it on other things because that's what local officials do. They kick the can down the road. And guess what? The can showed up in 2005 and boom. Now, that being said, it was a bigger mess than they were expecting, but their response was horrible. There, and and George Bush will be forever remembered by those of us in the emergency management community with his good job, Brownie, comment um, to Ron Brown. Michael. Who was Michael Brown. Sorry, Michael yes. Brown, who yep. was, um, who was, was yeah, head, of head of FEMA, FEMA. and it was not pretty. It was well, their I mean, response was not pretty. Yeah. In uh, listeners, uh, Nia is referencing um, the... Uh, response to Hurricane Katrina uh, that hit the Gulf Coast of the United States in 2005. And um, uh, over 1,800 people lost their lives um, right. uh, during Hurricane Katrina in its aftermath. And the federal government's response really highlighted what were some of the concerns in creating the Department of Homeland Security. Um, because when you create a department out of so many agencies from other departments, um, you have to integrate the culture, the purpose, the mission. And FEMA, um, it was fairly obvious, was not fully integrated into the Department of Homeland Security because before its uh, transfer to Homeland Security, FEMA was a standalone federal agency, right? Right. And, you know, part of the difficulty in response to Hurricane Katrina is that FEMA's authorizing legislation had not been updated. So according to FEMA's authorizing legislation, FEMA could not go into the Gulf Coast states until NIA, who requested the federal government's assistance. The governor of Louisiana. Yeah, the governors of Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, Mississippi. Mississippi I mean, Alabama. But I think it started with Landro. She was in 
She was the yeah, governor. Mary Landro was uh, um, uh, the governor of uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. Um, and none of the governors, but particularly the governor of Louisiana, um, uh, asked for FEMA's assistance before the hurricane hit. And Michael Brown, who was relatively inexperienced at running a federal agency, okay, he had run horse races very well. Okay, fair equestrian enough. equestrian competition. Okay, okay, I'm being sarcastic. Sorry. Okay, that's what happens when you put an appointee in front of, in charge of something like FEMA. Yeah, and a more experienced federal government bureaucrat would have been able to work around the recalcitrance of the governors okay. and the mayors. Okay, yep. um, but Brown inexperienced, did things <laughs> by the book, which was in the he book. Quite, yeah, the book quite clearly says FEMA can't go in and usurp the authority of state and local officials until state and local officials ask for help. You know, right. this is federalism 101, right? But a more experienced either emergency management official or I would dare say government bureaucrat, okay, would have gone ahead and said, okay, I know you're not specifically asking for our help, but why don't we go ahead and relocate some federal government assets to the Gulf Coast just in case, but we won't do anything until you officially ask for our help. And Brownie didn't do that. Brownie did not do that. He got called out and I think correctly okay for not waiting responding, okay for waiting yeah okay but it yeah. was much more complicated and it points to a larger issue with homeland security and responding to disasters you have a you have a quote here from susan collins yeah that i think is marvelous may i read it yeah go ahead yep if our government failed so utterly in preparing for and responding to a disaster that had been long predicted and was imminent for days, we must wonder how much more profound the failure would be if a disaster were to take us by complete surprise. Yes. Susan Collins, 2007. I, I think she's dead on right there. We know that we're going to get disasters along the Gulf Coast. We know we're going to get hurricanes. We know that we're going to get hurricanes in Florida. We just, I mean, it's a fact of living in the United States. The same as wildfires in California are a fact in the United States. And blizzard-like snow conditions are a fact in the United States. In the northern parts of the United States, with the lake effect, where they get, in Buffalo, they get something like 400 inches in a day or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was 50 all plus. The snow, yeah, all 50 the snow plus falls already this fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, we know and, we're going to get that. And what you're talking about, Nia, uh, and, and she knows this all too well because one of her uh, master's uh, degrees is in Homeland Security. This is known as risk management. Right. And one of the things that FEMA was noted for before it was transferred to DHS was that because it was independent and it had a history of being able to identify and manage risk, that's gonna get lost in a large bureaucracy like DHS. And that's always one of the, 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 the downsides. 
right? And that's what got lost. And we saw this, we saw this most recently in 2017 in Puerto Rico. Now, I, I know we can go ahead and say it was the Trump administration, but the reality is, Nia, as you pointed out, okay, with climate change, okay, and with the hurricane season getting worse, okay, in the Atlantic, in the Atlantic Ocean, okay, we knew this was going to happen. Well, and okay. Puerto Rico is an island approximately four inches above sea level. Like it's 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 incredibly it, vulnerable to even a modest hurricane. Right, is going to create problems. Puerto Rico, okay, much like mainland United States, has a poor aging infrastructure already before right. a hurricane hits. We know this. Okay? Yeah, and that's not Trump. That's not Trump. That was that's been years and years and years in the making. You can blame Donald Trump for lots of things, right? You can blame him for the Miss America pageant falling apart, but you can't. <laughs> but you can't blame him for Puerto Rico. Now you can blame him for kind of a tacky response with going and throwing paper towels, but whatever. That's him as a person. But his administration was not any less prepared or underprepared than any other administration has been for other disasters natural disasters right we weren't super prepared for sandy we weren't prepared for katrina like and we should be um so there's so that's a that's fema still doesn't have its act together this is 2005 to 2017 so 12 years and we're still they're still going what a hurricane and i'm like okay now put me in charge of fema if it's going to be like this because Really, I find that very frustrating. And part of what I find frustrating about Puerto Rico is Puerto Rico is in that horrible place where it's it's a territory, but it's not a state. So it has certain rights, but not other rights. And it has certain responsibilities, but not other responsibilities. Like, I don't know. If you're going to claim something, take care of it, right? If, it, if, if you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. we want Puerto Rico to be ours, well, then take care of it like it's yours. Don't just... Oh right, Puerto Rico. Like, don't add it as an afterthought. It's a, it's an important place with important people. Let's integrate them anyway. Yes, sorry, no, whole it, thing it, there. But yeah, but I, but I, I agree with you that we don't blame Trump for that. This is a, this is an ongoing FEMA problem that has been true through many presidencies, Democrat and Republican. There, there's no and, one party that's responsible for that. And I know this sounds like. Um, academic geek speak but if you're going to go ahead and transfer an independent agency who by many accounts was operating quite well and was oftentimes pointed to as an example of the good work that the federal government does and you're going to transfer it into a large bureaucracy with a varied mission and I think all of us can agree that the Department of Homeland Security's mission, okay, is varied, okay? I like um, how you put that. Um, it has multiple personalities. Yeah. Um, something's going to get lost in the translation. Yeah, and, and FEMA's one, not the thing we want to be lost in the, in the translation. And one of the agencies that has really suffered, okay, has been FEMA. I agree um, with you. Um, and, and that's been really unfortunate. And I'm not yeah, just when I'm president, I'm gonna make it its own thing again. Um, because um 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, FEMA used, Nia, just as a personal anecdote before we conclude the episode, I remember when I started my doctoral program um, uh, in the uh, mid-90s, we studied FEMA as an exemplar, okay, an exemplary department, right? Yep. You know, this, you know, if we're trying to go ahead and figure out how to go ahead and get better government, okay, productivity, work, service, et cetera, okay, FEMA was, was one of the departments, okay, that we, we studied, right? Yeah, um, and, and if you're ever, if you listeners are ever wondering, like, if, sorry, if you ever want to take a class on risk management, but you don't want to pay for it, FEMA has online courses that you can take from them that will actually talk about management, risk management, disaster management. And they've done that for a long time. Augie's right. They used to be sort of exemplary, and now they've been lost in a, in a huge departmental shuffle. And they weren't thrilled about it either. They didn't really want to be moved. Oh, no. The no, 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 I don't think there was yeah. some there was some fighting to start with. And they've been proven right. But can I just say that part of why they've been lost is because of bloat. The the DHS started off. Oh, Congress threw money through. Right. Threw right. money at Homeland Security and, and and departments here. Take take anything you want. Take everything. Take take. And. They shouldn't have done that, but but they were acting out of fear. Yes. They were acting out of out of um, concern that we were going to. And didn't we end up in Iraq right after that? Like there, yes. there was all this stuff right roiling around at that time of people being afraid to go out and people being afraid to travel and people like so it was sort of affecting the economy. It was affecting people psycho psychologically. It was affecting all these different things. And the and Congress was like, you know what? Here's a hundred billion trillion dollars. Take it, go, go, give whatever you want. <laughs> buy buy all new boats, buy do whatever. And and it turned into this big money just disappears in DHS. It just yes, and that has been one of the criticisms and it would not shock me as we move further into this decade, uh, uh, Nia, that if um, the political parties in Congress ever start cooperating with one another again. Um, <laughs> the first thing they'll do is get rid of I don't think DHS. I don't think they'll get rid of it, but the, I think there will be some significant overhaul or changes. Now, I understand listeners I just went ahead and put a huge conditional statement on that. That is, if the political parties ever start cooperating again, okay? But there are critics on both sides of the ideological spectrum, right? There are critics on both sides who you know, readily acknowledge DHS needs to be reformed. Now, I understand there are some members of Congress who have called for its uh, abolition, uh, most notably um, um, uh, uh, AOC, okay, uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, okay. Um, most critics don't go that far near. Right. Most critics Because say, we do need what they do. Yes. I mean, we, we need 
we certainly need FEMA, but we need other things too. We do need immigration control. You can't just have a straight up open border, like, and you don't even know who's living here or what and they're you, up to or need, anything you, like you that. You need, cust you need customs and border patrol. Right. Okay. I mean, you, you need a, a national medical response, as we just discovered <laughs> in the last couple of years, right? Like, so, so it's yes. not, we're not saying that we don't need those things, but we are saying that they need to be better organized. That there needs to be a better, and I, I feel certain that every that every secretary who's hired comes in thinking, I shall be the one, I shall organize this, and then somebody says, you know, there are twenty two departments in here, right? And they say, oh. I shall organize part of this. <laughs> well, in, 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 in DHS, like any other cabinet department, Nia, has important stakeholders. Right. And anytime you start talking about reforming or changing a department, those stakeholders immediately, very reflexively, you know, their reflexive position is, don't touch my unit. Right. Don't touch my agency. Right. Um, but you're going to have to have some elected officials show some leadership and say, hey, some of this stuff isn't working. Okay, we've had 20 years, 20 plus years. Okay, what do we need now from Homeland Security? Okay, um, so. And they but, can call me and Augie because we have ideas. We do have ideas and, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and not for nothing. I would actually be willing to take a leave of absence um, uh, to go work uh, on that kind of reform effort. Because, I mean, hey, Nia, you and I, we have a lot invested, you know, personally, professionally. I mean, chunks of our, you know, lives have been devoted to the study of homeland security and emergency preparedness yes. okay. um. and and we at the library at vcu are a uh, partner to hold on to all of their documents in perpetuity yes so like we're trying to even make sure that what we have is um is an ongoing collection of their documents so that we can keep those for future generations to study yeah exactly. yeah Okay, well, thank you, Augie. I'm looking forward to our next and last, which is the proposed and failed so far. Oh, um, in listeners, departments, and it'll be fun to hear some of those. Listeners, don't stop with this episode. You got to tune in and listen to the uh, proposed departments that were never created because some of them just have great backstories. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, but thanks, Neil. Cool. Thank you, Augie. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.